So this morning, because of the depth and the content of the scripture, if you notice on your outline, there's large quantities. But because of this scripture this morning, it's very tempting for me to turn this into a Bible study, and I want to break down every little bit of uh, nugget that is located within this portion of scripture today. But then I got to thinking about this, and I thought, it's not my job to spoon feed you. It's my job to challenge you. It's my job to encourage you and to somewhat entice you to dig into the sweetness of the word and to taste the depth of it and to digest it, as Pastor Don was talking about this morning which is kind of interesting because he didn't know that I was going to say this, and I already had planned to say this. And so I'm glad that the two of us are hearing God in the same wavelength. But true followers of Jesus, I believe, are pursuers of the scriptures. They're pursuers of the word. I really honestly believe that you cannot call yourself a follower of Christ and neglect reading the word. So what I'm challenging you this morning is, is that as a follower of Christ, I'm going to give you a taste of the scriptures this morning, and then hopefully throughout this week, you'll be challenged and you'll be motivated by the power of the Holy Spirit to continue in this process of revealing Jesus and learning what we are talking about on Sunday mornings, but especially in this portion of scripture this morning. So I want you to fight for the rest of what's in these pages that we're going to talk about today that I don't get to. But we started this new year off with a series entitled Reveal Jesus. We've been talking about how, what his goal is as God, his existence. We've talked about the supremacy that Christ has, that he is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present over everyone and everything. We talked about his motivation of why he does what he does and what our motivation should be as followers of Christ, endeavoring to reveal Christ to those that are around us. And today we're going to talk about our freedom and how we've been given the freedom, and what does that mean to us now that Christ has extended freedom to us to go and reveal Jesus. And because of what Christ has done on the cross, we have freedom to live out his love. You see, it's interesting because Jesus has a different kind of love. His love is different than ours, if you don't realize that, because his love is unending. His love never stops. It just keeps going and going and going. His love is ultimate. It goes beyond any boundary. In fact, his love is what set the foundations of the world into place. His love is what continues to motivate him to love us. Now, don't ask me how to understand that, but there's just something about God's love. There's this mystery that is wrapped up in the love of Christ that goes so deep and so far that we can't really understand the fullness of it. Because in our human nature, to us, love stops, love begins at certain points and ends at certain points. We only give certain portions of love out to certain amounts of people and certain friends that we know or our BFFs or whoever's on Facebook. But God's love extends beyond that. Regardless of who it is, or what the past is of the individual, God's love is the same for them just as it is for anyone else. And that's what is so different about God's love. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Church of Colossae, 
We've been hearing a lot about his writings as we've been studying the book of Colossians over these past couple weeks. And Paul begins to touch on the love of Christ in the chapter that we're about ready to look at. Because the people of Colossae, you have to understand, were what we would call today New Agers, or people who had a buffet of gods, those that they were attracted to, and they felt that they could have a buffet of gods, and you could love this god and this god, and and add in this god, and take pieces of that god over there, and add that god into this, and this is what I believe. And so Paul comes along, and he's actually at this present time speaking to the church of Colossae that is in the midst of all of this. It's kind of like today. The only thing that's different is, is the way we dress and we have cars. <laughs> but other than that, the same junk that's happening right then is actually happening now. And so I like this about Paul in his book to the church of Colossae is because it's pretty powerful that it's almost as though Paul knew what we were going to endeavor, and it was as though as Paul was writing directly to us when he wrote this letter to the church of Colossae. So join with me this morning as we begin to look about how we can reveal Jesus and live out Christ's love as we jump in here to chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. It says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith, in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole, self ruled by, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which, you, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins— having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And breathe. (laughs) So something's going on here in this hunk of scripture. Paul takes the liberty to jog our memories as followers of Christ and reminds us and says, hey guys, here's the deal. Don't forget. Because of what Christ did on the cross, you have now been freed. You have been freed to reveal Christ. In fact, he goes on to continue to say, and he says in his letter to the church of Colossae, he says, hey guys, understand this. What I'm revealing to you and what Christ has done on the cross for you is not only just for you, but it's for everyone around you. It's for those that you encounter in the marketplace. It's for those that you encounter down at the Agora. It's those that you encounter as you're passing on your way to the synagogue. It's those that you encounter that you see practicing their new age things in the temple that is not set aside for the God that we worship. But he says this is for everyone. And that's what Paul is telling us. 
But the beauty is, as Paul goes on to say, and he gets into this whole term saying, you're rooted and you're grounded and you're built up. And basically what he's saying there is he's saying, listen guys, you're stable, you're completely able, and you know all the stuff. So quit talking about it and go do it. And what he's saying here is he said, there's just too much discussion going on now in your little circle. And you need to get out. And you need to start to reveal Christ. Several years ago, many, 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 many years ago, when I was 16, I can say that now at the age that I am at. It's funny, when, my, when Sarah and I are walking through the mall and we see young teenagers and we look and we say, what are they doing? We realize that we're getting old. Save your comments for later. So when I was 16, there came this point, that moment, that coveted age that every teenager awaits because that age plays a lot of power in the United States. When we turn 16, something amazing happens, something that is legal in the United States, something that states we have more freedom, something that states we don't have to depend on mom and dad anymore. Does anyone know what it is? We get to drive. It seems as though when we turn at that amazing age of 16, we hear heavenly angelic beings singing And just things begin to change at a rapid pace for the better. So when I was 16, I studied for my driver's license. And a lot has changed since then. And now you have a lot more regulations and a lot more rules and a lot more demands before you can go just get behind the wheel of a car. I remember the day I was sitting in my bedroom. And I had made the appointment to go down to the DMV to go take my written test. My dad comes in. And I've just got my nose stuck between the pages of the book, just rehearsing everything that I could possibly think of. My dad walks in, he walks up quietly behind me, and he takes the car keys and gently places them right down beside the book. And he takes his hands and he starts to close the book, and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, hold up, hold up, what are you doing? He's like, it's time to go. So, well, no, no, I gotta study. He's like, you've studied too much, you know the stuff. Let's just go do it. And so I closed my book. We went to the drivers, uh, to the DMD. I took my test. I passed. And as we were walking out the door, my dad throws me the keys. And he says, why don't you drive home? And there was this part of me that said, I don't know if I'm ready. And my dad extended the authority to me. He gave me the authority and he handed me the keys and he says, hey, what's mine is yours. And he says, now go ahead, you can drive, you can do this, you know it, you got the stuff, you're able, you're stable, you're rooted, you're grounded, you're prepared. Quit discussing it and just go do it. So we drove home. When we got home, I remember on my parents' answering machine, there was a message from my uncle. And he said to me, hey, Jason, I got a surprise for you. I know, I know you took your driver's test, hopefully you passed, but I want you to give me a call when you get this message. So I call up my uncle and he tells me, that he found a car for me that I could buy. Yeah, it was a pretty sweet ride. Just so you know, it was an 86 Grand Am. Yeah, it's hot. I know some of you are jealous, but it's okay. 
I know, I know. So we went, we picked up, we went and looked at the car, and uh, make a long story short, I bought the car. <coughs> and I remember when, when we got the car, I was all excited because I had my own car, you know, my 86 Grand Am, and um, I was really excited about this car. And I remember, I would do anything. I'd go to the store to buy a loaf of bread if my parents needed it. You know, I mean, we've all been there. We know what that's like. Oh, you're getting low on milk as we're dumping it down the drain. I'll go to the store and get some for you. You know? And I thought to myself, man, I have just stepped into a new realm of freedom that I've never touched before. I don't have to have mom or dad with me. I can crank up the radio as loud as I want. I can play whatever eight track. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I'm thinking I can crank up the radio. I can drive fast as I want. And I got to thinking about freedom. You know, freedom enables us to do whatever we want. Freedom is a good thing. But just because we have freedom doesn't mean it's good. I mean, sure, at the age of 16, I could have chose to drive on the sidewalks instead of driving on the road. I mean, cars are good. Having a license is good. Being able to drive by yourself is good. Having that freedom to drive the vehicle is good, but driving on the sidewalks isn't right. I mean, if I wanted to, I could have taken my car and I could ram somebody else with my car just because they didn't put their turn signal on. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean that it's good for me. We may have freedom to live out Jesus, but freedom comes with an asking price. I remember when I went to go see my pre-purchased, almost get ready to to purchase my 86 Grand Am. I asked my uncle what the price was. And he says, get ready for this. Are you ready? And I said, yeah, I'm ready. Lay it on me. And he says, 600 bucks out the door. It's yours. I thought, wow, this is an awesome deal. And he pats me on the back. He says, well, I want you to know, though, I chewed the guy down. I said, what? He's like, yeah. He says, I got him to lower the price. He said the asking price was a lot more. He said he wanted 900 bucks for it. But I told him that, you know, you're a first-time driver and this is your first car ever. And so he says, I, I got him to lower the asking price so that way you could afford it. So it's yours for 600 bucks. And I got it. I was like, wow, this is awesome. You know, it's like I got a cheap car. I'm able to drive now. I got all this freedom. I thought about that and I thought, you know, Our freedom in Jesus Christ comes with a price. It comes with a price that we can't lower. It's not like we can go to the foot of the cross and we can kneel down and bargain down and say, okay, 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 Jesus, here's the deal. I want all the benefits. I want want the the whole salvation package. And also, I I like the prayer thing. And I I like the whole singing thing because it makes me feel good inside. And, and, uh... But I don't know about, well, you know, you know my habit. I mean, I, I mean, look, can we work with this? I mean, I'm sure we can dummy down the cost a little bit, right? See, it's a price. It's a set price. And when sin entered the world, God had to look at the world and say, how am I going to pay for this? God had to look at this and he had to say, someone has to pay the price. And the price is so high that nothing can be negotiated. Nothing can be lowered on the price of the cross. 
but someone is going to have to go and pay the price. No one can chew down the cost of what it's going to be. And so God looks to Jesus and Holy Spirit, and the three of them in unison make the choice and say, we will send the Son of God to pay the price, to pay the ultimate price. And we will not ask. We will not ask to bargain. We will not chew down the price because the price is so great. It cost Christ for what he did. A lot of times we picture Jesus, this holy God, which he is, and we picture him as this divine being, this spiritual man who has it all together, and he did. But a lot of times we don't count the cost that he took. When I think about it, he was separated from his heavenly father. Yes, it was his father, but yet they were still one. He was separated by the physical presence of his dad. He willingly gave up his entitlement of majesty to come to the earth. I think about when it happens in the Gospels when Jesus is baptized and it says when he rose up, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And I think about that. And I thought, gosh, for 30 years... For 30 years, Christ was separated, in essence, from his companion, the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, what it must have been like, what it must have been like for Holy Spirit and Jesus to be reunited because Jesus came down in earthly form. He gave up his divinity and came down to the earth to be like us, to show us that there is a way. And man, I thought, what it must have been like for the two to reunite and say, Oh, I got your back now. He gave up so much. It cost him so much. It was such a deep price for him to pay. And when we gaze at the cross, we reflect on it. We understand that freedom comes with an asking price that cannot be negotiated. What Christ did on the cross tenderizes our hearts so that we can reveal Jesus. That's what it's about. Christ came to give us freedom so that we could be empowered and tenderized to reveal Christ with a divine motivation that surpasses our emotions and surpasses our feelings and what we're feeling in the moment, what we don't want to do versus what we want to do or what we think. The ultimate price. Yes, our salvation is free through Christ, but the transformation of our values inwardly and outwardly will cost us. Costs us our joy, our ease, our comfort, even our fleshly desires. And that is why there is a divine necessity for the cross. A lot of times when we think of the cross, we think it's a good story. We think it's a good wall hanging. We think it's a nice piece of jewelry around our neck. We think it's a cute design on our little spiritual journal that we use to write things in. The cross is more than that. It's a divine necessity for every follower of Jesus. But not only that, it's a divine necessity for the world that God considers to be lost, that do not know him. 
Those who have not confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart, those who have not repented and said, I missed the mark, I've tried to do it on my own and I can't do it anymore. It's a divine necessity for every single one of us. And that's why I believe it's so critical that we always come back to the cross and reveal, reminded of what it is so we can reveal Christ. We have to understand that yes, there are things about the cross that are not beautiful. There are things about the cross that turn our stomach. There are things about the cross that we have never been able to comprehend the fullness of because all of us that are sitting here, we can vouch and say we never went to the cross. There are things about the cross that we wouldn't want to dare to look at with our eyes because of what took place there. But the cross, when we look at it, and we look at it and we we view it, we begin to understand and comprehend what it is that Christ came to do to give us freedom to reveal Jesus. of the cross is offensive. I believe personally that if we are afraid to return to look at the cross, 
then we choose to pull the truth of the gospel out of the gospels. I believe that if we say to ourselves every day that we're afraid to return to the cross to look at what Christ did to understand the seriousness of sin in our lives. And we look at it and we say, oh, we'll just extract that or we'll wave over it, we'll pull it from the Gospels. Then I believe we're in serious danger. If you're offended because I showed that, you should be. Not because of what you think, what is right to show in church or what isn't right. The reason you should be offended is because that is the reality of the gospels that we read every day. That's the reality of the gospels of what we digest. When we read the word of God and if we are not trembling at what it says, there is something that is missing within us. The reason we are offended is because the sin that comes face to face with what Christ did on the cross, when we see the the nail being pounded into his hands and we begin to grasp the reality of how much of a bloodbath it was at the cross, we begin to rethink what we do. We begin to rethink the freedom that Christ has given us. We begin to take on a fresh motivation of what it means to reveal Jesus to those around us. And if we're going to send emails and texts because we're offended of a video, I'm sorry, because you know what? You're going to have a rude awakening before the return of Christ. The body of Christ is at a crux right now where we must either get on board or get off the train for Jesus. I'll tell you, being a follower of Jesus is not for the faint-hearted or the weak. It's for the humble. It's for the willing. It's for the willingness to lay down our preconceived ideas and our opinions and allow God to be God in our lives. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For some of us, the reason is we have not experienced the freedom of Christ is because we haven't made it past the cross. We know the front of the cross, but we haven't looked beyond the cross. We look at the cross, we know the cross, but we're waiting for somebody else to pick up our own cross and carry it for us. And Jesus says to us, no, I'm calling each and every one of you to pick up your own cross. Husbands, stop calling your wives to pick up your cross. Men and women in the work area, carry your cross. That is your sign of freedom. It is the remembrance of what Christ did for us so that we have the power and the ability to reveal Jesus. That is why we carry our cross. Paul reinforces about the whole supremacy of Christ in this hunk of scripture. He says that Christ is Lord over all, but then he goes to mention that word circumcision. In the Jewish culture, 
circumcision as a serious thing, it still goes on today. It's a symbolic act. It's a, it's a rite of passage for the one who is about to be circumcised. It's a sign of separation from one's pagan past. It's to signify that you are now spiritually changed. And Paul goes on to say to the followers of Jesus in Colossae and to us, he's saying, guys, listen, listen, stop, stop just staying at the foot of the cross and move out because your hearts have been circumcised. Jesus has cut away your past. He's done away with the old nature. Circumcision is, a, is an actual physical cutting away, and it hurts. But Paul reminds us and says, guys, here's the deal. You know the stuff quit talking about it. The procedure has taken place. Christ went to the cross. He circumcised your heart for what took place there. Now, let's go and do this. In verse 14, it says that our sins and inadequacies have been purchased. I find it so fascinating that in, in, the, in the New and Old Testament, that if you had debt, it's not like today. If you had debt, what they would do is they would take your name and they would list everything that you are indebted to. And then they would make it public. And when you paid it off, they would take and write on it, it is finished. Or if somebody had enough grace and enough love, they'd come along and they'd pay off your debt so it would be removed from the public eye and they would write on it, it is finished. And Jesus comes along And he goes to the cross and he yells, it is finished. He goes to the cross and he gathers all of our sin. He goes to the cross and he gathers all of our inadequacies. He goes to the cross and he grabs hold of all of our endless cycles that, that are just killing us inside and he gathers them all up. And he presents himself and he says, here I am. I am here to pay their debt in full. It is finished. Makes total sense now. It is finished. We have this freedom. Galatians 2.20 says that we have been crucified with Christ. It was finished then. Therefore, we have the abilities to overcome that which hinders us. We're free. We're free to reveal Jesus. We're free to be motivated by that, to reveal Christ. We're fresh, we're new, and we're empowered. It says that he made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities and all those. What that means is he stripped them naked stripped them of their weapons, stripped them of their authority, and paraded them publicly. That's what the picture is. When Rome would conquer the enemy, they would strip their slaves, they would strip those that they had conquered, and they would take all the spoils and all these things, and they would strip them naked. And they'd take their weapons and their protection and their authority because they're no longer a soldier, they're no longer a prince or a king, and they would parade them through the public with boldness. And Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross, frees us up to reveal him, 
to everyone. And he says, oh, don't worry anymore. I've stripped everyone. I've stripped those powers. I've stripped those principalities. I've stripped those things that are coming against you. I've, I've taken them to complete nakedness. I've taken their weapons, and I've taken their authority and power. I did it when you died with me. So freedom to live out his love will cost us, but freedom to live out his love means that Jesus plus anything equals disaster. So I used to be a pastry chef before I accepted the call of God to go into ministry. And um, the thing about pastries is, is that you have to be very precise. You can't add, you can't you know, take out or whatever. You, you just can't throw something in a pan, throw it in the oven, and it comes out perfect. Everything is precise. So I used to make a lot of cake, make a lot of muffins, a lot of bread, different things like that. And so, like, I think about our freedom that we have in Christ. We have freedom to do whatever we want. And so I have this box of blueberry muffins this morning, and, you know, my favorite muffin is blueberry, wink, wink. Um, in case you're ever led by the Spirit of God to drop some off at the office. So I have this box of blueberry muffins. Now on the back, it lists the instructions. It tells you exactly what to do. It tells you that you're supposed to drain the blueberries and rinse them with cold water, and you place the contents in a bowl, and then you're just supposed to get them till they're moist, and then you put them in a pan and put them in the oven at a certain degree of temperature. But I want to be creative. I got a bag full of cement. I think if I add this, I might enhance it. Do you agree? Why not? Makes it hard. It doesn't belong. Nowhere on this box in the area of ingredients does it say, add a few cups of cement. Muffins sound really good and taste really good. Cement is really good too because we use it to make our sidewalks. We use it to build our foundations. It's a great thing. We use it to pour the flooring before we lay our carpeting down. Cement's good for use. But just because it's good doesn't mean that we need it. See, the problem is in the church of Colossae, Jesus laid it out for them and said, this is it, this is what it is. This is as simple as it gets. But they wanted to be creative. And they said, well, no, if we just add this, Jesus plus this, and we're good. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Jesus plus anything else besides me equals disaster. You may think that that is good to add with me, but I'm telling you, it's going to equal disaster. The Pharisees were not very fond of Christ. If you read through the Gospels, there was this group of of people that set themselves apart, and they felt that what they were doing was correct. So they added laws to the law. They added different things to make themselves feel more holy or more attainable to being godlike. Jesus comes along and he says, oh, no, 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 no. 
no, no, you don't need that, and you don't need this, and you don't need to do that, and, and oh, what they said over there, no, don't, don't even worry about that. You just, you just need me. That's it. Just, just me. The Pharisees were livid with Jesus. They were just so angry at him because here they had established something great. They were creative. They took what is good and they added it to Christ. They added it to God. Why wouldn't anybody want to eat that? Why wouldn't anybody want to partake of that? Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you had anything else besides me, it just equals complete disaster. You see, we're very creative people. The thing is, is that we weren't designed to be God. We try to mix and match with following Christ, and we say, if I just add this, I'm doing right. If I just do that, then I'm doing good. If I just condemn so-and-so, then I'm doing what Jesus would do. We're not called to be God. We're only called to follow in his footsteps and be like him. Look at verse 16 through 19. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into a great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the, head, with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So in a fatherly manner, Paul comes back to the church at Colossae, and he comes back to us, and he says, don't waste your time with the complex styles of devotion and styles of piety that are added to Christ. You see, if you take something and you put it up against light, it casts what? A shadow. Right here, you can't see it too well, but behind this thing of flowers is a shadow. Over here, behind this monitor, there's a shadow. If you were standing up here, you could see that I'm casting a shadow. You see, what happens is is a lot of times as followers of Christ... We look past what is directly in front of us and we begin to take on what is the, what's casting the shadow. We look at the shadow and we begin to focus on those things that really aren't important and we miss what is directly in front of us. And Paul is saying to us, don't waste your time. Don't complicate things and look past what is in front of you and focus on the shadow, which really amounts to nothing. Grab hold of what is directly in front of you and make good use of it. Share and reveal that. But don't waste your time and get other people tangled up in focusing on the shadow. Because Jesus is the head and we are the body. He is the groom and we are his bride. Let me refresh you of what that means. God is God. We are his children. Jesus is the husband. We are the bride which means this. If your two-year-old came to you and told you that you need to go do this for your job and that you're going to pick up another job and you're going to move over four states and do this and now you're going to take on this job and do that, would you listen to your child? Absolutely not. 
Because why? You're the adult. You're the head of the house. Jesus is the head of our house. We are not. Therefore, it is not up to us to tell people and make rules and regulations and cause people to bend over backwards and say, if you do this, X plus Y plus Z equals dot, 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 and Jesus will love you. Unless it lines up with the word of God, we have no right to tell other people that they need to be doing this and this because it's a conviction within our hearts. If it's in the word, then we relay it. But if it is not written in the word and it has not been filtered through the community of Christ, we have no right to be telling others. Otherwise, we're just casting a shadow. Look at verse 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. See, we have this freedom to live out Christ, to reveal Jesus to those that we encounter because we have died with Christ. What that means is, is that we may be in the shell of a physical body of this earth, but we are not of this world any longer. Therefore, we do not operate on the level of human standards. We still obey the law that is before us that man has put in place, But we don't submit to the things of disease and sickness. We don't submit to the regulations that man says, once you die, you go in the ground. No, we submit to a higher authority that says, we will be alive and we will live. We don't submit to the elemental forces of this earth. We submit to the Christ which gives us power and authority And the world is hungering for the signs of God. They're hungering for something more than just talk. They're hungering for the revealing of Christ in his power and his might and his love and his grace. And when we begin to remove our mindsets that say we are only limited to right here and right now, and we begin to take hold of that which we say we're dead to Christ and we are spiritual beings that operate in heaven and in earth and we begin to say ah we operate in power and we begin to reveal that to those who are hungry Jesus is revealed to those who are thirsty and hungry Jesus plus anything is an illusion that leads us down a dead end road I tell you this, people, if we are fooled to think that we can have Jesus and anything else, we fall into the spirit of religion. We have believed its illusion and we're caught up in the games and not in the reality of heaven and the kingdom. 
So if the current road that you are traveling on right now is wide and easy, you might want to switch to the other road. Because the Word of God tells us that if you're a follower of Christ, the road is narrow, the gate is narrow, the road is harsh. Now, I'm not saying to be a follower of Jesus, you got to be rough all the time and down because we're not. We're called to be people of joy and excitement because of what we have. But if we're claiming to be followers of Jesus and we are on the wide road and the gate is wide and welcoming, we have fallen to an illusion. And we need to stop and we need to analyze what it is in our life that why we are on this road that is so wide. And we need to get back to the narrow road where the gate is narrow that God says that leads to the kingdom of God. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me. (coughs) So you see all these spoons up here all the way across on on the stairs. I'm sure it's been eating at you this whole time, wondering what are those spoons there for? Well, I'm about to tell you. See, I told you that our freedom to reveal Jesus in the community, our freedom to reveal Christ to those around us in our families and in our campuses and in our schools and in the marketplace comes with an asking price, one that we can't negotiate. It'll cost us something, guys. And I said to you that Jesus plus one equals disaster. Well, I'm challenging you this morning. How far are you willing to go to pay the price for Christ? How far are you willing to go the distance to reveal him? So we got these plastic spoons And a lot of times we use a spoon to scoop something, to eat something, to dig deep, to get something. My question to you is, are you hungry enough to reveal Jesus? Are you hungry enough to accept the freedom that God has given to us as followers of Christ to reveal Jesus wherever we go? Because in a moment, I'm going to invite you that if you're hungry enough, make a public declaration. Step out of your pew where it's comfortable. Come and grab a spoon and carry it with you through the week, wherever you go. How hungry are you? So in a minute, I'm going to pray. And the way we're going to dismiss as you just simply make your way down and pick up a spoon. Because you got to understand now, this just isn't a spoon now to eat your Sunday with. This is a spoon that reminds you that's in your face that says, I made a declaration to God, not to me, not to Erie First. You made a declaration to God to say, I'm so hungry to go the distance to reveal Christ. And it also says... I'm tired of being spoon-fed. I'm going to do it myself. I don't want anyone else to do it. Now, as I was praying for this, I'm going to pray in a moment. As I was praying for this, I felt this very strong. 
I want to speak to the men a moment. Men, if you're married and you have a spouse, you better not ask your wife to come get you a spoon. If you are married, you as the husband of your household better be the first one to grab a spoon. If you're engaged, young man, older gentleman, I say to you the same thing. Because if you can't get it now, you're not going to get it when you're married. So you need to step out and you need to be the one to get the spoon first. And allow your fiancé, allow your spouse to follow in your footsteps and set the example of your household. Now for those of you who are single, you make your way down here as well because it's just as important because you're setting an example for those that are around you as well. So let me pray for you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the power of the word. We thank you for the freedom that the cross of Christ through Christ Jesus has brought us. That we have been freed from sin, that we have been enabled, Lord God, through the power of Christ to be able to reveal Jesus. Now, Father, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would convict our hearts to go deeper and to consume, to consume what you have given to us and that we will not treat the freedom you have given us as something light, but something important, something critical and vital. Father God, we ask that you will continue to show us each day how we are to reveal you in everything that we do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.